This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart once again. Mo, how are you getting on, mate? Good, good. It's a very busy period of time for me. This uh, June is always my busiest month of the year, and the fact that it's really beautiful weather as well has made it even more better. Even better. I mean, I'm in a sunshine mood for sure. Yeah, well, it's a, uh, it's, it, there's not a lot going on really when it comes to Liverpool at the minute. Obviously, we've just signed Alexis McAllister, but everyone's very keen for us to get the next one through the door. Um, doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon, so. Could be a shorter episode today. We will <laughs> see. Every time we say that, it never happens. But um, we still have some things to talk about. First of all, first, first place to go to, really, was today. Obviously, the fixtures were announced. Liverpool have got Chelsea away in the first game of the season. Um, it's not great, is it? What do you think? I mean, I said I'm in a sunshine mood, so you wouldn't be surprised to hear me take the optimistic side of this. As always. fine. I, I think it's good. I, I think come the start of the season, we are still likely to be in better shape than they are, personally. I think even if they have got more of what you'd look like a Pochettino squad, they still have got to still play the games. And people say with the fixture list, oh, it doesn't matter. Everyone plays everyone twice. Hardy, hardy, hard. Yes, that's true. But also it does matter when you play certain people. Because not only in terms of the ups and downs and the rise and falls in terms of form and fluctuations and injuries, all those things, when you've got new managers in, sometimes that early bit of tension, I mean, look at Eric Ten Hag last season for Manchester United. They lost their first two games. And part of that wasn't because he didn't have bad players, as we saw from what happened. It's just that they were still kind of finding their feet. They were still getting it together. And I guarantee you, Pochettino was a lot more upset than all of us when he saw that fixture list coming out. So I like it. I like a good start. And I mean, the other thing we have to acknowledge is that we literally had four promoted teams in a row before this. So yeah. we can't really complain about getting Chelsea now. I think I think for me, I always like to start off the season with a relatively straightforward win, to be honest. And I think it's always a massive positive if you start the season at home. I know Liverpool couldn't this this time around. I think we actually asked yeah. to be away first game of the season. So that was a bit different this term. But I don't know, just playing the team middle of the road that are probably not going to cause us any issues would have been nice. But then saying that last season we faced Fulham and they yeah. give us a real game. So exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I think the main thing for me is, is I think getting that first win on the board is massive for the rest of the season. It's not essential necessarily. Um yeah. but I think it is massive like and Chelsea away. I do rate Pochettino. I always have. I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on. Actually, considering like the success that he had at Spurs started with him coming into a club that had just bought a, a ton of players after selling Gareth Bale, and he had to kind of assess who's right, who's wrong, who can I build around, who can I let leave, and he was obviously very, very good at doing that at Spurs, and he ended up, you know, empowering the likes of Christian Eriksen and, and players like that. Brought Harry Kane through rather than Soldado, you know, playing every week. Um, and he, he turned it round at Spurs. And it's, it's, I suppose, a similar-ish job at Chelsea now with just a million players. He's got to work out who to use, who not to use. 
So I do rate Poch, but maybe it is a, a positive getting in there and playing them first game of the season and getting that out of the way rather than playing them after they've had a few months yeah. under his game. The, the other thing to flag up on this as well is that <clears throat> we'll be playing them while the transfer window will still be open. And because of the amount of business that Chelsea have got to do to try and get to balance their books, but also they've got players they want to bring in. So if they're going to bring in more, they're probably going to be getting more out. So they're probably still going to be doing deals at the time of this game. There might still well be quite a few disgruntled players who want to leave and can't in and around that squad. So I think with the new manager, a lot of the time, like you say, he does look like he fits the bill for what Chelsea want. But I know this kind of seems counterproductive when we're talking about Chelsea. But they really do need to give this one patience. They really need to give him the time to do what he needs to do. And I feel like, touch wood, that that looks like also what's going to happen. So with all that in mind, I think that they can wear an early loss. Whereas for Liverpool, we are still very unsure about where we sit within the standings of everything until we start the season. But starting the season with a win against Chelsea, immediately putting three points between us and the team who are also trying to do what we're doing and fight back into the Champions League, that's a really good start to the season. And I know what you mean. You want it easy. We all want it easy, particularly when, like I say, it's still so unsure. But if you can conquer the hard, the rewards are greater. Yeah, I think it's for me. It's it's the easy one at the very very start and the and the very very end. That that's what I like to see because I think I do think they have. I don't know in, in my own head at least that they have more of an impact. I think the last game of the season, if you've got something to play for, and you've got a tough game, it's it's just really up in the air, isn't it? That sort of thing. So you need to you want to close the season easy. You want to you want to start the season easy. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Chelsea get on and. Just looking across the league, actually, I mean, this is not specifically part of the agenda, but obviously we're obviously very intrigued by um, what everybody else is doing. And I think that a lot of the time fuels the clamour for signings on Merseyside and and things like that, like seeing what everyone else is doing and, and seeing Arsenal get linked with, you know, players like Havertz and Declan Rice and City getting linked with Josh Guardiola and Rice himself now as well of late. Um Man United are getting linked with Harry Kane and, and, and things like this. So it's going to be interesting to see what everybody else does. Um, it's nice that we've already moved with Alexis McAllister. But move, I, I think Alexis McAllister, come, come to close of the window, don't want to be a bit of a downer here, but I think Alexis McAllister might end up being our best signing by the end of the window, regardless of what we do moving forward. And a lot of that is testament to how good he is. Yeah, But I think it's also an indicator that we're probably not going to get in the proven quality that we thought we might have been getting in when we realised this massive midfield problem a couple of months ago. Yeah, maybe. I think it's difficult to say so early on because you're right, there are going to be so many twists and turns. But I think in terms of McAllister, I think as as close as you get to a guarantee with transfers, and I don't even want to kind of jinx him now, but it, all of the things you look for in a successful transfer in terms of fit in terms of the potential in terms of the attitude of the player in terms of the kind of um, durability and his uh, use to the league for want of a better phrase he's got all of those things so all of the things you look for all of the indicators of success he has them 
So we are probably aren't going to get someone else with that many indicators of success. But I think we'll still get some good players. And I think that we can still get some good players who will improve the team. And whether or not it improves them more than everyone else is improving, that's going to be the key. Particularly if some of those players who we were thinking or hoping that we would get end up elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, if, if I was to ask you now who is going to finish in the top four next season, who would you put forward? Um, I'm putting you on the spot here, aren't I? But... You are. Dead early. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we, we will revisit this, by the way, before the start yeah. of the season. So, so basically, just straight off the bat, we need to be saying who are going to be the other three, right? Yeah. Because it's City. Okay. Yeah. So, ugh, it's tough. Because Arsenal have got big ambitions in the summer window, but it remains to be seen whether they can pull them all off. And what they look like with and without some of those players they've been touted for could be very, very different. So it is very hard to say. I do back them to not completely have the wheels fall off like some people have, have maybe suggested might happen. Um, I don't think Spurs will be back in it yet. I, I don't. I, I think we'll be above Chelsea, whether that's third and fourth, fourth or fifth, I don't know. Um and yeah, Manchester United, I, I kind of feel like they're going to be good again, unfortunately. So I'd say if you held my gun to my head, I'd say Arsenal, Manchester United and us. I would agree, but I think um, I think Manchester United, I, I don't think they'll be as good as people are expecting personally, unless they have a really, really good summer, mm. uh, which is possible. But I, I think I don't think they were anywhere near as good as the table suggests this season. I think they've done quite well to to sneak. I don't know if they finished fourth or third. To be honest, stop paying attention. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you look at the underlying numbers and things like that attached to their performance, just they've been they, they won a lot of games one nil and things like that, and the, the goal difference was not their goal difference ended up at like plus nine. I think Liverpool's even where Liverpool finished was like plus twenty five or something like that. Newcastle were in the plus thirties, so. But I think Newcastle this season, although I do rate Newcastle, I think they absolutely deserve to finish in the top four this season. Yeah, I, I just think that the idea of Europe with, with them playing in the Champions League, I think could hinder them a little bit. And you've got to bear in mind, I'm expecting them to be in pot four, really, because they haven't yeah. been in Europe for about 10 years. So they're going to get tough games. And on top of that, I think FFP-wise, I don't actually think they can go out this summer and buy five six amazing players to go and bolster the squad. I think they're looking at about two. No. Um because they have spent a lot of money since since the new owners have came in. One of the players they're reported to be looking at is Nicolo Barella, which yes. I don't know about, I don't know about you mate. That was a big surprise for me seeing that. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. It yeah, it was it was one of those stories where it was almost like an explosion in my brain. And then once the smoke clears and you kind of look at it a little bit clearer, you can kind of calm down a little bit. But yeah, it's a really, it's a bold move from Newcastle to, to go for him and to go for him as hard and as uh, openly as they appear to have done. For them, it's a really tricky situation. Like you say, with Europe, that's the thing that everyone's looking at. They know that they're going to have to adapt and bolster their squad for Europe. But then they really haven't been done any favours by the fixtures. I feel like of all the teams with the European ambitions and Champions League ambitions, they're the ones sitting there thinking, that looks a bit tough. 
Because obviously at home against Aston Villa, Aston Villa ended the season very well. They look like they're making some good moves in the transfer market and they're probably going to get better. So at home, Saturday afternoon, big game on Sky. It's going to be a tough one. But then after that, the next two games are away at Manchester City and away at Liverpool. And then yeah. the only other game they've got, I think, is a home against Brentford. And then the Champions League starts. So if the results go against them, and maybe they've got four points out of 12 and they're uh, 11th by the time they start their first Champions League game and they've got a tough draw, you can already see how things can start to stack up against you. And when it's your first season at that level, you can... I mean, there can be panic. I'm not predicting it, but you can see how these things happen. Going back to Barella, though, like I said, the initial um, story kind of shocked you because Luke Edwards, I think it was in the Telegraph, he used the words, Newcastle close in on £50 million signing, which made it look like the deal was almost about to be done and they'd almost shaken hands on £50 which was shocking for two reasons. One, if there was that close to um, allowing him to leave, then surely there'd be other teams in it. And two, 50 million for Barella? <laughs> yeah. Now, it looks like, looking closer into what has been said by whom, um, Barella's agents come out and said that he's not listened to any offers and that he's not spoken to Newcastle. And I don't believe he's lying when he says either of those things. <clears throat> I don't think he's spoken to Newcastle. I think an intermediate... An intermediary has spoken to someone around him to kind of float their ideas. And rather than say him saying he's not listened to offers, they've asked him, if a deal was to be done, what is the ballpark figure? And they this 50 million, uh, apparently a start, as, as it was called in the, in the article, is where it's come from it. So as it appears now... Newcastle are saying that we want to sign him and we are willing to go relatively strong to sign him by saying 50 million is the start. What that doesn't mean is that A, Nicola Barella wants to go to Newcastle and B, no one else can enter the bidding, which is where I think price dependent, Liverpool might come in. But to be honest, I I don't think we are going to go in for him this summer. Well, this is going to sound very cliche to be honest cliche fan <laughs> but <laughs> if 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 there's any prospect of that deal happening liverpool have to get involved there surely mate like liverpool have a problematic midfield department that is tired and has no peak age players in it really with the exception of McAllister now potentially um we we need proven quality really to get back to the level that we I've been competing after the past couple of seasons. Barella is a player who was reportedly loved by Klopp and Linders. Mm. He's 26. Um, not ideal, but it's it's still on the cusp of Liverpool's typical age criteria, really. He's still young enough to be uh, targeted by Liverpool and stuff. So I just think he's he, he really intense defensively as well. Really, you know, proper ball winner and willing to close down and things like that, willing to press and stuff. So he's a natural fit in that sense. So if there's any prospect of that deal happening, Liverpool have to be sniffing yeah. around it. And if they're, if they're not, please explain why. You know, because well, that, that, that would be baffling, mate. See, I, I agree with all of those things, 
but I also in my mind can find out I can see a world where they say no and it's partly because of McAllister if you think about one of the things we've been talking about over the course of the whole of last season how we need to prioritize the physicality the athleticism in our midfielders and if we were looking at getting three in and McAllister's already won who is tenacious but he doesn't have that kind of power or pace to use that phrase. Um, neither does Barella. So then you've got two out of the three. That's the issue with it, must say. There's a fix for that, though. There is a fix for that. And that fix is Thiago Alcantara, whereby we would say to Inter Milan, here's a player who we think could work and thrive very well for you. You can do a deal for him we do a deal for Abrella. So that way we can have a potential four midfielders coming in. I, I still think that that's probably a lot for what Liverpool normally wants to do. We'll see. I don't know. I still think that we should be in for him. I'm 100% on your train. And I think that if that's what happens, then I'll be angry. But I can see that happening because I know the way these things have gone previously and the way that um, often these things operate. So, Maybe the best um, world of all worlds is that Barella stays put for another year until next summer when we are looking to get rid of Thiago and then we do that deal. Whether or not Newcastle go hard enough to turn Inter's head is the question because Inter, they are kind of in financial strife. They always are. They've got this big 230 euro emergency loan that needs refinancing by a certain point in the future. But they have also just made £100 million from getting to the Champions League final. That's going to give them a bit of a buffer. So it'll be interesting to see how desperate they are or aren't to sell. There's also Andre Arnana, who's interested in lots of teams who they may end up sacrificing if they need the money. So what I would say, I feel like this story is going to have lots of legs to it. And yeah. I've I mean... Got, what, what, bottom line, I would say... I'd be very surprised if it's Newcastle for 50 million. It's either Newcastle for a lot more than 50 million or someone else. See, I, I obviously know that it'll be an expensive deal. I mean, he, he's got another three years on his contract. He's, con he's earning about 180 grand a week at the minute. He's a peak age player. He's just played in the Champions League final. So it's, it's obviously a big deal. But last summer, Liverpool were in fair, other than two or many. He would have been expensive if Liverpool didn't get him. Then we would infer, supposedly, Jude Bellingham. Again, would have been very expensive. We didn't get him. Mason Mount would have been very expensive. We didn't get him. We've got Alexis McAllister in. The reported fee is supposed to be 35 million, mate, which is an absolute bargain. Yeah. So we should have some form of, like, kitty there to yeah. dedicate to a bit of a world beater if, if that option comes up. Barella is obviously that. And another one of the, the key issues I think he would address is a lot of the time, for instance, Milan, he plays on the right of a, of a midfield three. And if you think of a lot of the midfielders Liverpool have and Liverpool have been linked with, they're all left-sided. If you think of Kone, if you think of Churam, Curtis Jones, Thiago Alcantara, um, Gravenberg, McAllister, they all like the left. Whereas on the right, you've got Jordan Henderson there, who's 33 this week, and Harvey Elliott. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But Ella would come in there and just immediately establish himself as the right side of the for me. Um, if he doesn't, based on the links that we're seeing, it looks like a big season for Harvey Elliott, to be honest. I mean, I've seen I've seen rumours that he might even get the number seven shirt. Now, I rate Elliott. I, I think he's going to be a very good player. I've, I've seen that people have concerns about him and things like that. I, I don't. I think he's absolutely fine. But he's still, I think, is he 20 or something like that? And I'm not sure he's yeah. at the point yet where he's ready to start every week for a team with aspirations to win the league. So, Barella for me makes a lot of sense, even though it's a big deal. Liverpool should have a big deal in them that that, that, that they want to do. So, I'd be baffled if, if, if Barella goes to anywhere in England other than City. Oh, and Liverpool gets get into someone like Joram. I will be baffled, mate. <laughs> Genuinely baffled. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I mean, ba- baffled slash annoyed. I mean, I think the other thing we got to think about this is that the timing of this um, this announcement or this transfer scoop is really early in the window. So. If, for example, you've got an agent and a player who have said that they would prefer to come to Liverpool than Newcastle, but you've got a club in Newcastle that are pressing really hard, it benefits them to make it public to maybe shake a few other people loose. So from Liverpool's perspective, they might have been hoping that they could put Barella on a a little bit of a back burner and see how other things have gone. So if they are willing to go big on him more than some of the other players, maybe they're going to try and wait to see if they can get a two-ram for a little bit cheaper than the 50 that Nisa asking, which means that they can then go to Inter with a bigger bid. Maybe they're trying to keep their cards close to the chest, play a little bit cool. Now this has happened. Now that might change. We might see that. I honestly don't know. But you are right. I think the prospect of him making another one of our rivals better when we could have got him, I, I, it, would, it would just be infuriating. There's no way around Yeah, I mean, I obviously understand that Newcastle yeah. have Champions League football and th- and that is a big attraction. But I still don't think they're anywhere near the level of attraction that Liverpool are just yet. Yeah. Maybe they're going towards that. But right now, well, it's, it's, and, it's And that's still... why I feel like the, the, leave, the him waiting 12 months works out best for everybody. Because... See, but then, then he would be 27, though. <clears throat> Yeah, but I mean, it's and worth... Liverpool need a midfield fix now. They do need a midfield fix now. I'm not saying that if we don't buy Barella, that we're not going to buy anyone else. So it means that we'll be buying other people. Like I say, the the idea of him buying him next year would be him replacing Thiago, who is still going to be here this season. That's what I mean. And yes, he's one year older, but he's also going to be one year cheaper, which I think is going to be a lot more in wheelhouse. Look, no, look, I agree with you. I agree I with that. you. I'm just looking at the way things have gone previously. And it's like, there's what I would want to happen and what I think is going to happen. And they aren't the same. Yeah, I, I just think we've we've used all of our waiting time when it comes to this midfield. It needs to get upgraded now. and But Ella would be a massive solution for that. If you look at his, his availability, for example, mm. obviously signing McAllister and Barella would only be two players, but McAllister play but, 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 but the, other thing, the other thing about this as well is that from Barrera's perspective maybe he wants to wait 12 months to see if Liverpool do get back to Liverpool and, and 
and that might be an issue. Like, like it genuinely might be an issue because from his perspective, yes, we can tell him that obviously we're good enough to only be one year in the Europa League. Who's in the Champions League final with Inter? And yes, you can say the chances are they're not going to be in the next Champions League final. They're certainly going to be in the next Champions League. And considering the way things are going in Italian football with uh, Spalletti leaving Napoli and maybe some of their players leaving, I'd say Inter are probably a strong bet to win the Serie A next season. So I think if you're asking him to choose between going to Newcastle and staying put, I think he's choosing staying put. And he might even try to say the same about Liverpool in the Europa League. Possibly, but I just I just think if you if you was to put money on who is next going to win the Champions League, Newcastle, oh, yeah. Liverpool, or Inter Milan, even though Liverpool aren't even in it next season, if the answer is Liverpool, and it's still it's still only Eddie Howe in charge, who is still very much a British coach, and yeah. I don't think he's known at all beyond English shores. But Barella is still compared to Jurgen Klopp, and if you look at the two squads. There's a massive difference in quality in Liverpool's squad, even though Liverpool finished fifth. But he is, the the jewel. he is the jewel of Inter Milan. He is the star of that team. He is the, the, not only their best player, but he's also Italian, which matters when it comes to those things. So Inter are going to be super reluctant to let him go. And I feel like from his perspective, he they've kind of turned him into the player he was. He was a prospect before he joined them. He was great at pressure, but they've made him the player he is. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to persuade him to stay for one more year. I think for Liverpool, it might take the kind of money that we have been so far reluctant to hand out. But again, this is just what I think at the moment. Well, how high would you go for him then? Because I think Liverpool would have went to a seriously high figure for Bellingham. I mean, before we realised this massive rebuild needs doing, I think Liverpool would have went to a decent figure for Mount. So, and two and many ended up costing Madrid, I think, seventy million or something like that. So, I don't know how much Liverpool were expecting to pay for him. If but, if, if if the price is seventy million pounds, I'm paying it. Yeah, I would agree on that. Yeah, like, and if it's north of seventy million pounds, it's a lot tougher conversation. And maybe yeah. I'm looking to pun it down the road for twelve months, but seventy million. <laughs> yeah, but for the listeners, most just visualize the handshake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot it's a podcast as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's interesting. Um, it, I, I sent out a newsletter yesterday, actually, and the newsletter was titled uh, "Spinning Plates," and it's because it's just that's how it feels at the minute. It feels like okay, we've got McAllister in, but it feels like the next move is almost out of our hands a little bit and we we're almost just looking at the market and seeing what happens and i said in the newsletter that i think a lot of liverpool's summer almost depends on what Bayern munich does um as a as a club considering like sporting directors being sacked ceo has been sacked nigelsman got sacked mid-season they were all responsible for getting in gravenberg for example they're getting linked with Declan rice they're getting linked with moises casado Sofian Amrabat, all of those are kind of like defensive-minded holding players. Maybe they're willing to get one of those in to allow Gravenberg to leave, but if they can't get rid of them, maybe Gravenberg stays. Um, all of this, even Real Madrid getting linked with Mbappe, like if, if that move happens, maybe Real Madrid have to sell players, maybe PSG then go a bit mad and start bidding for Mo Salah. You know, you, you just don't know what's going to happen, do you? So it's yeah. one of them situations at the moment where Liverpool need to be on the toes waiting for like the 
the starting gun almost. Yeah. But to actually move now, there's, there's, it feels like there's not a lot there at the minute for Liverpool no. to jump on unless they want to go and get Kone or Churam now, which I'm not sure they do at the minute, to be honest. But Well, it feels like the I think the next big move will start to kind of do things. Because, like, you think about it, I use my Sudoku analogy for transfers a lot, but this is another one. So it's like, <laughs> if you're, for example, Declan Rice, if Declan Rice chooses Arsenal, then that moves a few other boards because it takes him off of Bayern Munich's board. It moves Moises Casado higher up their board, higher up Chelsea's board. Arsenal are obviously still going to look for him, but those teams who are also in for him know that when push comes to shove, they will probably be able to outbuild them. Chelsea in particular, maybe less so Bayern. But once one move is made, then other moves become a little bit, the probability in them changes. And it just becomes like that. One begets the next, begets the next. The question, though, is the fee. Because as the, we've done a really good job with McAllister in having the release clause, which takes us out of the market inflation um, element. Because I think the deal that Chelsea did for Enzo Fernandez in January is going to be what a lot of these selling clubs use as their bar, uh, their barrier. I think Brighton are going to say that for Casado, where Sam are going to say that for Declan Rice. So any club that needs or wants to get them are probably going to have to get close to those numbers. And that then affects well, who else they're in for. And then you've got to add the intrigue, a player like Kai Havertz, who is potentially going to be moving from one club to another, when both those clubs are also interested in a player from somewhere else. And by the way, that club's player is also interested in buying one of the players who they've had on loan from one of those clubs. So all of these deals will become easier once the first one moves. But no one wants to be the first one to move. Well, to be honest, I feel like Arsenal and Rice is probably going to be the first deal that gets done. Personally, I think it looks like from the outside, they have done enough groundwork to be able to say that we will do what you need, but we will also do what West Ham are looking for. And once that happens, the picture changes. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the plan for race will be interesting, to be honest, because obviously Arsenal are getting linked with them, but they do have Thomas Partey as their established holding midfielder. And City are getting slightly linked with them now, as of today, I think. But obviously, Rodri is the established holding midfielder for Manchester City. Rice, for me, can't play as an eighth, personally. Mm. So unless you're doing a double six there, I'm not really sure what the plan is, to be honest. That's where Liverpool have to be careful. That's what I've been talking about lately in terms of, like, Liverpool are getting linked with good midfielders. That's going to happen. It's Liverpool Football Club. But mm. for me, there, there, there has to be a fit there. There has to be, a, you know, where do you plan on using this player and is he suited to being deployed like that? Um so it's going to be interesting to see how how Rice gets on and where he ends up because I do think I do think Bayern would be a good fit for him to be honest mm. based on body because they don't seem to have that figure as much they've got Gretzky no. and Kimmich as as their midfield too so I could see Rice slotting in there perfectly to be honest and it's strange because for a long time I felt like uh, Gretzky and Kimmich was the best double pivot in the world but last season. They were both drew quite a bit of criticism at times when they went wrong, and both have been rumored to be looking to be moving on. Whether or not that's true, 
we'll have to wait and see. I think the Kimmich to Barcelona thing may have just been started by Barcelona fans on Twitter. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> but the rumours are out there. So maybe they're looking to do things slightly differently. And that, of course, that's where Declan Rice comes in. But again, you're right. It, it, to a certain extent with Declan Rice, he's had a lot of time in his career where people have told him that, oh, you can, you're good at that, but you're not really good at that. And sometimes he's taken it on board and he's got good at that. And sometimes he's been like, well, you're just wrong. And I've seen it through his career. I mean, he scored quite a few goals for West Ham in the last two seasons. So yeah, yeah. He will if he will believe that he can play in it, whether we have reservations of it or not. I think Arsenal is still the best fit for him. Because, I mean, we kind of have to mention it. You mentioned Thomas Partey. He may not be there next season yeah. for reasons. So... <laughs> To be that, fair, I've just checked as well. He is 30. I thought he was younger than that. Well, yeah. So the, the, so you can see a world where he fits in to what Arsenal are trying to do, I think. And I think he would come in and become a dominant figure alongside Odegaard. And it would be quite frightening, personally. I think that he would do very, very well for Arsenal. But I like, as much as it's a little bit of selfishness in saying this, I like the idea of Bellingham being abroad and testing himself at the absolute highest level. So if Declan Rice ends up at Bayern Munich, I'd actually be like, yeah, let's see how this goes. Yeah, I'd yeah. be up for it. It is very interesting, isn't it? But I think, uh, again, going back to the Bayern Munich thing, obviously that, that ties in with Liverpool's um, right-back situation in a way. We, we did mention it briefly last week, but obviously Benjamin Pavard is another player at Bayern who is... Has a relatively uncertain future by the looks of it. Got two years left on his contract. I think he's now 27. By all accounts, he hasn't had a great season. I haven't watched too much of him, to be honest. Um, I've seen rumours that he wants to play as a centre-half more often, things like this. But when the links first emerged with Pavard, a lot of people, a lot of people's first response was Liverpool don't need a right-sided defender. Liverpool need a left-sided defender because we don't have any left-footers. And although that's true... If you look at Liverpool's right back spot now, we we literally have Trent, and that's pretty much it. Like James Milner's now left, Calvin Ramsey's going on loan to Preston North End, which we've we've learned this week. So other than Joe Gomez, maybe we literally only have Trent, and then potentially you're bringing in that that kind of um, internal experiment with Jordan Henderson potentially as like an inverted fullback if we're going to keep doing that. But we literally only have one right back at the club at the minute. Uh, right. And that's that's Trent. So when you think about it, Liverpool kind of do need a right back, really, in a way. Um, it just really it depends on what what on earth is going to happen this summer. It's, is Trent going to become a a full time midfielder? Are we going to keep doing this inverted fullback thing? Mm-hmm. It's just so many possibilities at the minute. There's, it feels like Klopp stood in a room. And there's so <laughs> many, there's so many different doors for him yeah. to walk through, and he's just full for choice almost. And you can hear Trent's voice whispering from behind each of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I'm like you. I was very much coming into this summer thinking that the left footer defender was the priority. But the more you think about it, the more I do think that having someone else in that area is going to be needed. Because, like you say, if you think about Ramsey, if you think about Milner, uh, that's all of the backup gone, except for Gomez. And Again, we've got to mention it for Gomez. 
can we rely on him to be there and be fit and available at the points we need to rest Trent? We can't. So there needs to be an option C. And at the moment, you mentioned Henson. I'm not sure he's got the legs for that now. Although that said, that Klopp has given him jobs I'm not sure he's suited for before. So we'll see. But maybe Bajsetic is actually a little bit more suited to doing that. And that might be the move. We'll wait and see. But yes, Pavard, you can see in a world, it's, it's strange. It's just one of those transfer rumours that I can't always pop up and I always find fascinating because you can see a world where from the outside, he looks like the kind of player Liverpool will be into. He's, he's a winner. He's someone who's, um, like we said, he plays in those areas that we're looking for. But anyone who knows Liverpool's transfer policy also realises that actually, no, no, he's not. Because obviously you mentioned his age, you mentioned the potential wages that he'll be coming in on, which is not really... You have to be a very, very, very special player to come in on higher wages. Thiago, for example. Yeah. Pavard not Thiago. No. Pavard is not Thiago. So that would be an issue. That's not what we're looking at. And again, to your very first point, he hasn't had the greatest of times this season. I think that if you go back to the last two seasons since the last time he was a really good, consistent defender. And that's kind of what we need that guy to be if we're going to be playing behind him. We need him to be actually be able to defend. And his ability to do that, for me, has waned considerably in the last two years. Interestingly, though, under Nagelsmann, he did spend some time playing as the right side of a three-centre-back set. And he was able to get some joy out of uh, in terms of progressing the ball at the pitch, playing nice little triangles with some of the other players. But again, Bayern do different things with their fullbacks. They have them high and wide. Obviously, we're going to have Trent inverted. So that all might come into it. But I think we will be looking at someone to do that. I just don't think it's Pavard. I think we potentially are looking at someone to do that, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't completely rule Pavard out. Like, as I said, he's only got two years left on his contract. He's in 96 grand a week, apparently. Um, and he is an established performer, even though he hasn't had a great season. He has won the Bundesliga four times. He's won the World Cup. He's won the Champions League. And in all of those, I'm pretty sure he's been like a fairly regular starter and stuff. So, he is a, and I think as well, one insistent thing that it would allow Liverpool to do tactically is if you think of a back four of Robertson, Van Dijk, Canate, Pavard, and Trent is somewhere in midfield. When Liverpool have the ball, if Pavard was to then form a back three with Canate and Van Dijk, that would allow Robertson to push up yes. then and, and be Robertson, which we haven't seen him do. Um, so it would open up tactical possibilities, but... I, I, I do agree with you in terms of leaning slightly towards the the idea that he's it's probably not gonna happen. Mm. What do you think of of um Julian Timber as a possible well, alternative to that? It's funny you should mention him because he's one of those guys. The more I've been thinking about, well, if we are gonna need someone to play when Trent plays and we're gonna try to play the same way, who are the candidates? And I think it's him. I really do. I think he doesn't play the same way as Trent. Very, very few players do. But in terms of overlapping of the skills, I think he, he can do the job there. He's someone who's a strong defender. He's um, 
used to, well, he's played from a very young age, so he's used to organising defence as either a centre-back and even sometimes as a right-back. He's played in a three and he's played in a four. But his ability on the ball, that's the thing that really kind of strikes you when you first watch him. Not only to be able to protect the ball under pressure, uh, fire, recycle possession, but also his dribbling ability and his ability to pass at the end of it. He's not playing long balls like Trent. He's not doing his big diagonals or big booming crosses in or even the big, one. Well, all of the wonderful things that Trent does. Like I say, he's Trent. He's, he's, he's one of one. <clears throat> well, yeah. What he can do and what he does bring and something I think we're going to miss is the Matip Ramble where he just brings the ball out of the fence and dares the opposition to get the ball off of him. And I think he's got the ability to do that. So he could be someone who plays in the defensive line behind Trent or he could be someone who plays in the midfield to give Trent a rest. So in terms of adaptability, I feel like he's someone who could work very, very well. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, he's he's 21 years old, two years left on his contract, contracted to Ajax as well, which suggests that we can probably get him out of there, really. Um, I am a bit uncomfortable with him playing as a centre-half, if I'm honest. Um, but the idea of him playing as a full-back, or specifically a full-back who comes inside and does a bit of what Stones has been doing, mm. Zinchenko, Trent, I can see him doing a bit of that. Um, but the links with us and him, don't seem to be that busy at the minute. I haven't seen too many of them. No. Um, but I do think he probably will move this summer. I think that's fair to say. Do you reckon? I do. I think if you look at Ajax at the moment, obviously they're a team who do generally to, tend to lose their best stars. I'd say Edson Alvarez and Mohamed Kudus look to be the two who are pushing for the move or closest to a move, I'd say. But there's going to be interest in Tim, but I think he's good. he's a, a very good player. It could be another one where Liverpool are trying to be like, okay, well, that is someone who we're looking at, but it's not as a high priority as these other deals. So let's see where we are with this before we go for that. But again, it's like you say, it's spinning plates. So we don't know if that plate's spinning, even if it's just spinning slowly over there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, before we wound up, maybe out of interest, is the anybody who... Any transfers that you've seen so far that you would like to highlight potentially? Um, it's very early days, obviously, but just mm. looking at the, I, th- I think one of the interesting ones for me is um, I think I mentioned earlier this year when we did our players to just keep an eye on. Yeah, one of the players I mentioned was Orkun Koku, who played yeah. for Feyenoord as a captain. Well, he's moved to Benfica to replace Enzo Fernandez, which I think is very interesting. Um, he won player of the year in the Eredivisie. I think he's moved for about 25 million euros or something like that. Um, but for me, that was a really interesting move that stuck out for me. Obviously, yeah. uh, Milner's signed for, for Brighton as well now. Bellingham's yeah. officially signed for Real Madrid. But uh, any others? Um, well, with the Corky one, I think it's a classic kind of a, a stepping stone without wanting to kind of disrespect Benfica because we've seen Benfica have been selling stars. They probably will do it again this summer. But you also get the impression that um, he was in a league where a lot of people maybe haven't been watching as much or there's maybe doubts about the transfers of quality. So again, he's moving to a little bit of a higher level. 
he's going to be playing Champions League football. And then from there, because it's only 25 million, there's plenty of room for them to sell him on and still make a really good profit at a deal that will be applicable to some of the bigger teams. So it looks like a very kind of, you can see how this path is plotting out for him. So yeah, I'm interested. One for whom lots of people have been plotting paths for years and years, who I'm really fascinated by is Hosamawa, who has yeah. finally left Leon <laughs> and gone to Roma. Now, again, Roma probably wasn't the club that he envisaged himself playing for two, three years ago. But they were a club, obviously, they've got decent European pedigree. Um, they are a club on the up. Whether or not they keep hold of Jose Mourinho, I feel like that might still not change. And they're in a league where all of the best teams can beat each other, to be honest. So he can really come in there and have an impact. I'm fascinated to see how he does as well, because there's been so much talk about his potential, what he could do. Now we're going to get to see. Yeah. Nabi Keita has obviously gone to, to where the Bremen, which I didn't overly see coming. I did see a Bundesliga move, but I didn't yeah. see Werder Bremen personally. No, um, I, 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 well, I just want to think one thing I want to touch on, on with that. I feel like a lot of people have kind of used that as a stick against Naby. But I think Bremen last season were a very good team. They were in and around the European places right up until I'd say the last eight or nine games. And then they really fell off a cliff. And that's why they ended up in 12th or 13th. But they will be hoping to be in and around the European places again and maybe get in there this time with someone like Cater. And for Cater, he just wants to play. Like, he wants to go somewhere where they're going to be like, you're our guy. Go out there, yeah. do all you can to be the best player you can be. Because not only is we is he had to deal with the injury to Liverpool, not only has he had to deal with the perception of him as a player at Liverpool, he's had to deal with... Um, maybe tactics that don't allow him to do the things that he wants to do as much as he wants to do them. So yeah. it could be like, you know, a Super Saiyan revenge season from Naby Keita, which to be fair, I'd kind of be into that. I really would. Yeah, well, he, apparently he took a 75% uh, wage cut to, to, to join them from Liverpool. So, yeah, yeah that's that, that will be an insistent one to follow, really, but... This is something that we'll probably do most most of the summer, to be honest. We'll keep track of, of interesting moves throughout Europe and certain players who need to be highlighted. In our opinions, we will do that. Uh, but hopefully Liverpool start doing a bit more. <laughs> but to be honest, I can't see it. I can't, no, no time soon anyway. I mean, no. I think we're, we're going to wait for the market to move a little bit and see how things look before we start moving again. Well, there's but, also the under-21 Euros, which is happening soon, and nearly every player we link with is going to be there. So, yeah, I think for, until until that kind of ha goes away, there's not going to be much concrete happening because they're all going to be concentrating on playing for their countries. Yeah, Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones both there as well, I think. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us, Mo. No worries, man. No worries. And we'll be back next week to hopefully talk about the new six players Liverpool have signed. I, I think it's unlikely, but uh, <laughs> tune in anyway to see if that's the case. Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.